It's July 2002, and in the Friendly's restaurant in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Richard Zimmerman pushes his burger and fries away from him. <sighs> Sorry, but I'm in no mood to eat. The retired Hershey CEO looks across the table at his old friend Bruce McKinney, the former boss of the town's theme park. The two meet regularly to shoot the breeze, but today their mood is downright sour. And that's because this morning the Wall Street Journal revealed that the Hershey Foods Corporation is up for sale. McKinney looks at Zimmerman with a hangdog expression. I just don't get why the trust would sell. Why would they do this to the town and the company? The trust McKinney's talking about is the Hershey Trust Company, and it manages the $5 billion endowment Milton Hershey left to his school for orphans and underprivileged kids. The trust keeps most of the money invested in Hershey Foods Corporation shares, giving it the controlling interest in the chocolate giant. They're spooked, Bruce. After Enron and the dot-com crash, the trust thinks it's dangerous to keep all its money invested in one company. McKinney grimaces. But they're not short on cash. The school's only got a thousand students. When I served on the trust's board, we spent most of our time trying to think of new ways to spend millions on the school. Hershey's hardly been a bad investment for them. Yeah, I guess they feel they've got to maximize returns for the school. But you know what really worries me is the buyer. I mean, what happens if the new owner relocates the headquarters or shuts the factory? Without the company, this town is finished. It's a betrayal, Richard. A total and utter betrayal. This will rip apart Milton's legacy. But you know, what can we do? Zimmerman leans closer. We fight, Bruce. That's what we do. We might be retired, but we still got influence in this town. Let's use it. Let's get people protesting. Even if we fail. Well, at least we tried. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is no time to be a bystander. In the days that follow, the pair spur the town into action. Residents put up Don't Shut Down Chocolate Town signs on their front lawns. Company executives, union reps, local businessmen and politicians hold rallies and speak out against the sale. Journalists bring the town's fight to national attention. Hundreds of residents march down Chocolate Avenue, waving placards. And Pennsylvania's attorney general files a court petition designed to stop Hershey from being sold without judges' approval. But the trust won't back down, and buyers are lining up. Nestle and Cadbury Schweppes unite to offer $10 billion for Hershey. Then, chewing gum giant Wrigley jumps in with a $12.5 billion bid. Hershey's days of independence seem numbered. The protests have failed. Only the courts can save Hershey from takeover now. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know.
Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Mars tried clinging to the number one spot by focusing on its biggest brands. But the plan failed, and Hershey pulled ahead with a barrage of new products. But now, Hershey faces a new threat. The charitable trust that owns the controlling stake in Hershey wants to sell the business. This is Episode 6, Global Chocolate Domination. It's September 2002, and in a hotel meeting room in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, the Hershey Trust is holding an emergency board meeting. There's an air of panic in the room, and that's because a court has just slapped an injunction on the trust, barring it from selling Hershey to Wrigley. The trust's CEO, Robert Vowler, sits at the head of the table. His brow is furrowed, and he's got dark circles under his eyes. As the public face of the trust, He's taking most of the flack from opponents of the sale. He's even had death threats. This injunction is the last thing he needs. I'll be frank, none of our options are ideal. We can cancel the sale, or we can spend significant time and money fighting the injunction. The board is split on whether to give up on selling Hershey. They debate the options for hours. Afternoon becomes evening. Midnight passes. And still... There's no agreement. Eventually, Valor calls a vote. We're going around in circles. We need a decision, all right? All those who want to proceed with the sale, raise your hands. Valor counts the votes. One, two, five, seven. Any more? Okay. Well, who thinks we should abandon the sale? The remaining ten board members raise their hands. The sale is off. Hershey will remain independent. But the reprieve comes at a cost. Relations between the company and the trust are now in tatters. And that means there's sure to be trouble ahead. It's November 2005, before dawn in Shanghai. In a small, rickety backstreet warehouse surrounded by shiny new skyscrapers, 
eager salesmen are lining up for candy. As rain beats on the corrugated metal roof above them, the salesmen wait their turn. At the front of the line, their supervisor hands out boxes full of Dove bars, M&Ms, and Snickers. After collecting their boxes, the salesmen strap them onto their bicycles, don Dove-branded chocolate brown jackets, and pedal off, ready to spend the day putting candy into stores across the city. These salesmen are the foot soldiers of Mars's campaign for global chocolate domination. And there are hundreds just like them in every major Chinese city. Hershey might have pushed Mars into second place in America, but these days, Mars is a company that thinks global, not local. When Mars began exporting candy to China in 1980, it seemed an unpromising market. Chocolate was an unfamiliar Western luxury. Air-conditioned stores and refrigerated trucks were unknown. But Mars didn't back off. Instead, it kept investing, enduring 25 years of losses to stake its claim on the world's most populous nation. One that was growing more prosperous and eager for Western treats with every passing year. Now, its Chinese operation is profitable. The Dove brand now accounts for 39% of all chocolates sold in China. And China's only the start. Mars is also using the money it makes in the West to advance into the Middle East, Russia, and beyond. M&M's, Snickers, and Dove are now global brands that jostle with Nestle's Kit Kat and Cadbury's Dairy Milk for shelf space in stores all over the world. But while all the world's a stage for Mars, Hershey's got stage fright. After World War II, Hershey shunned taking risky investments overseas, preferring to maximize profits at home. But now, a global opportunity beckons. January 2007, Orlando, Florida. Hershey CEO Richard Lenny enters the elevator of the Ritz-Carlton and presses the button for the top floor. The silver-haired Hershey boss isn't sure why he's here. All he knows is that Todd Stitzer, the CEO of Cadbury Schweppes, wants a one-on-one. -on -one. Lenny exits the elevator and knocks on the door of Stitzer's suite. Stitzer opens the door. He's wearing a suit and tie and looks every bit the Harvard-trained lawyer he is. Good to see you, Richard. Please come in. The pair sits on tan couches surrounding a mirrored coffee table. Okay, Todd, what's this all about? I want to talk a merger. Lenny's surprised. Hershey and Cadbury have long flirted with merging, but it's been at least two decades since the companies last seriously talked about joining forces. Combining our companies makes sense. You're strong in the U.S., we're strong everywhere but the U.S. You're like the missing piece in our jigsaw, and vice versa. Also, we share the same cultural values. We both believe in giving back to our communities. Sure, but we're not equals. Your soft drink division makes you significantly bigger than us. Let's be honest. You're really talking about a takeover, aren't you? Actually, we're going to sell the beverage division. And after that's gone, it'd be more a merger of equals. I'm thinking global headquarters in Hershey. You as chairman, me as CEO. Lenny likes the sound of that. He can't help but smile. Naturally, I'll need to consult my board. Of course. 
One question. Will the Hershey Trust be a problem? Lenny pauses. Relations between him and the Trust are frosty at best, but he's not telling Stitzer that. If the deal's right, I'm sure they'd get on board. It's April 2007, and Hershey Trust CEO Robert Valor flicks through the business section of his newspaper in his office in Hershey. He spots a story about Cadbury selling its beverages arm and endorsing a merger with Hershey. Puzzled, Valor picks up the phone and calls Lenny. Richard, I've got a newspaper in front of me, and in it, Cadbury's Todd Stitzer's talking about merging with Hershey. Any idea what that's about? He proposed it to me back in January. We're going to explore it more after they sell their drinks business. January? That's four months ago. Why the hell wasn't I informed? I notified the company's board at its January meeting. It's not my fault if your representative on our board didn't tell you. I'm the CEO of your biggest shareholder. You should tell me directly. No, that's your representative's job. I work for the Hershey Foods Corporation, not the trust. Valor slams down the phone, seething. He decides that if there's a deal to be done with Cadbury, the trust will be the one making it. It's September 2007, and in a luxury Manhattan hotel, the Hershey Trust is holding talks with Cadbury, and Lenny's not invited. Valor starts by pressing the Cadbury team for information. We want more detail on how you think the merger will affect the town of Hershey. Cadbury's lead negotiator leans back in his chair. Actually, we're cooling somewhat on this merger. What? Why? The credit crisis. It's making it harder to sell our beverages unit. Also, Hershey's latest results, they're uh, disappointing. So we no longer think it's the right time to merge. Valor leaves the meeting empty-handed and fuming. He knows Cadbury's right. Hershey is underperforming. Sales are down. The stock price has plunged nearly 30% in two years, leaving the trust a billion dollars worse off. He decides it's time the trust flexes its muscles. In the aftermath of the aborted talks with Cadbury, a power struggle breaks out between Hershey and its most powerful shareholder. The trust accuses the company of misleading it about the Cadbury merger. The company claims the trust is twisting the facts. The trust demands Hershey fire two of its board members. The company refuses. The trust forces them out anyway. In response, eight Hershey board members resign on the same day. The trust replaces them with its own people, tightening its grip on the business. But as infighting consumes Hershey, Mars is plotting a major move. April 2008, McLean, Virginia. William Wrigley sits at the kitchen table in the home of Mars President Paul Michaels. As Michaels fixes sandwiches, the heir to the chewing gum empire wonders what's in store. All Mars would say on the phone is it wants to talk. Sandwich is ready. Michaels joins Wrigley at the table. So you're wondering why I wanted to meet you, right? Wrigley, sandwich in hand, smiles. Would be nice to know. 
Well, we want to buy the Wrigley Company. We think it's a good cultural fit for us. Our products are complementary, and Wrigley's international distribution network offers strong synergies for our brands, especially in China. Wrigley puts his sandwich down. And you replace Cadbury as the world's biggest confectioner? Now it's Michael's turn to smile. Yeah, that too. Wrigley pauses to think. His family still owns most of the company's stock, and since he used to run the business, his relatives will follow his lead. If he backs selling to Mars, this is a done deal. All right. How much money are you offering? $23 billion. All cash, no stock. Wrigley does the math. The offer's 32 times Wrigley's annual earnings. It's too good to refuse. I'm interested, but I need to know you've got the money. I don't want to put the company through this if you don't. I understand. Give us a week. It's two days later, and in his office in Omaha, Nebraska, multi-billionaire investor Warren Buffett cracks open a can of cherry Coke. He's about to take a swig when his phone rings. This is Warren. Hey, Warren. Byron Trott from Goldman Sachs here. I'm calling on behalf of Mars. Buffett sits up. He's a big fan of Mars. Mars wants to buy Wrigley, but to get the deal, they need a partner to put in a large chunk of cash. They've got most of the money, but they need another $4.4 billion. They need it in cash, and they need it fast. So you interested? You know, Byron, I've been conducting a 70-year taste test of Mars and Wrigley products, and I've got to say, both passed the test. Yeah, count me in. On April 24, 2008, just 13 days after Wrigley's meeting in McLean, the deal is done. It's a lightning strike takeover that stuns the industry and Wall Street. Mars is now the world's biggest confectioner. For Hershey, it's another sign that it's getting left behind in the global chocolate war. Next to Mars, Cadbury, Nestle, and Kraft, Hershey is looking increasingly provincial. It's not even one of the world's top five confectioners. Hershey knows there's one deal that would change everything, a merger with Cadbury. But if Hershey wants that to happen, it needs to act fast. And that's because another rival is already stalking the British chocolate giant. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business, it's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant sort of looks the same? Well, amidst the chaos, there is one shining star that is certainly worth your culinary affection. Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Choose from classic meal kits that can be prepped in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes. My favorite recipes, carb-conscious and calorie-smart but super satisfying, it's turkey meatball pomodoro. 
with roasted garlic butter broccoli. Look, we've tried a lot of home delivery meals before, but Home Chef is superb from the taste to the simplicity to the selections. And for a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners 18 free meals. Yes, 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life. You can find it at homechef.com slash BW. That's homechef.com slash BW for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash BW. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. It's August 2009, and in a meeting room inside a West London office block, Cadbury chairman Roger Carr waits for a visitor. Carr is a battle-hardened 63-year-old businessman, and he's expecting a fight. A woman with short brown hair and a red power suit enters the room. She's Irene Rosenfeld, the CEO of Kraft, the multinational giant that owns best-selling European chocolate brands Milka and Toblerone. Rosenfeld takes a seat, ignores the fresh pots of tea and coffee on the table, and gets to business. Roger, I have a great idea. We buy Cadbury. Carr maintains his poker face. Rosenfeld's stone-cold intensity is already rubbing him the wrong way. We're doing very well as an independent company, thanks. We don't need craft. Rosenfeld doesn't bat an eyelid. She spent two years prepping for this moment, and she knows Cadbury won't roll over easily. I will courier an offer to you this afternoon. I'd like a response within a week. After Rosenfeld leaves, Carr sighs. He knows Cadbury's in for the fight of its life. That afternoon, Cadbury's board gathers at Goldman Sachs offices on Fleet Street for an emergency meeting. Carr informs the board of Kraft's offer. They're offering $10.2 billion in cash and stock. I say we reject it. It undervalues us and Kraft only wants us because they're a low-growth business. We don't need them. They need us. The board agrees. They're also worried that Kraft will gut the company. Just a few years ago, Kraft shut down the factory of its British chocolate subsidiary, Terry's, and moved production to Eastern Europe. Carr sends Rosenfeld a letter politely telling Kraft to get lost. But Rosenfeld's already gamed this scenario. She responds by going public with the takeover offer. The move encourages speculators to snap up Cadbury stock in hopes of making a fast buck from a Kraft takeover but it also alerts Hershey to Kraft's plan. It's October 2008, and in a 17th century London hotel suite, Cadbury chairman Roger Carr is meeting with Hershey's new CEO, David West. They both want to stop Kraft by bringing Cadbury and Hershey together, but they're about to hit a wall. Carr sits in a red velvet armchair and lobs a question at the bespectacled Hershey boss. Can we count on the Hershey Trust to support a merger? Well, they are worried about ceding control of Hershey. Carr frowns. I don't know what to say to that. We're twice your size. Our shareholders won't accept a merger where the trust maintains majority control. If they want that, you need to buy us. And I don't think you can afford that. West rubs the back of his head. I'm exploring financing options. We Listen. 
If the will is there on all sides, we can do this. They need to think big picture. We all know and have known for decades that Hershey and Cadbury are a wonderful match. West promises to return with a concrete offer, but time's running out. Rosenfeld is stepping up Kraft's attack. She announces a hostile takeover bid and raises her offer to $17 billion. And she tours Britain and the United States, encouraging Cadbury stockholders to embrace her plan. Events are fast slipping out of Cadbury's control. Only Hershey can rescue them from Kraft now. It's January 2010, and Hershey CEO David West is back in London. And this time, he's got an offer for Cadbury. As Carr listens, West lays out the details. We're making a solo bid for Cadbury, and it's got the support of the Hershey Trust. Carr's heart lifts. At last, a ray of hope. West continues. Our offer is $11.7 billion. Carr stares at West in disbelief. Hershey's offering $6 billion less than Kraft. That's too low. We can't sell that to our shareholders. It needs to be higher. West looks down at the floor. He tried to put a good face on it, but he knew it was unlikely Cadbury would accept such a low offer. Unfortunately, that's the best I can do. The trust won't let us borrow more because it might damage our credit rating. Carr shakes his head. I'm sorry, but that offer is unacceptable. We'll take crafts over that. Shortly after, Hershey drops out of the fight for Cadbury. On January 18th, 2010, Cadbury's board submits to Kraft's takeover. Two years later, Rosenfeld spins off Kraft's candy and snack business to create a new candy superpower. Mondelez International. In the years that follow, Hershey boosts its overseas presence. It buys Indian and Chinese chocolate makers. But the company is decades behind the competition, and it may never catch up with experienced global players like Mars and Mondelez. But back home, things are very different. Every year, there's a chance to blow out the competition. The candy tsunami begins every October. Stores overflow with Halloween candies, vying for the attention of the trick-or-treaters. Halloween is the U.S. candy industry's Super Bowl. In 2019, Americans will spend somewhere in the neighborhood of $4.5 billion on Halloween candy, swelling the coffers of whichever manufacturer created the holiday's most eye-catching confections. Hershey's is pushing pumpkin pie Kit Kats and jack-o'-lantern-shaped peanut butter cups. Meanwhile, Mars is dressing up M&Ms in glow-in-the-dark wrappers and daring people to try zombie Skittles with flavors like mummified melon and rotten zombie. Yet this annual showdown is unlikely to shift the balance of power in Candyland. Hershey's been America's top candy maker since the mid-90s. Mars's status as the world's biggest confectioner seems solid, too. But the current stalemate between Hershey and Mars doesn't mean they've stopped fighting. They've got to stay hungry and keep battling just to cling on to the sweet profits they're already making. And should either one of them give the other a break, they know they can expect no mercy. 
Hey, Prime members, you can binge every episode of Business Wars ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. A note about the conversations in this episode, we can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Emily Frost edited this story. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer-Beckman. Sound designed by Kyle Randall for Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie, created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.